Welcome to Corgi Confident. My name's Alyssa. I am the self-proclaimed Corgi Queen. Let's talk Corgis. What is up, everyone? Welcome to Corgi Confident. This is your Friday fun day, where we just discuss some fun things. Specifically, this is going to be the series uh, about sports and corgis and sports. For this Friday, we are continuing the conversation from last Friday, uh, where I talked about agility, corgis and agility, and just in general, um, some things to think about before you potentially get started on it. Uh, and just another just little overview of what the sport is. So if you haven't caught that episode, make sure you go back and listen to it um, because this is a continuation of that episode. So for this Friday Fun Day, a.k.a. Corgis and Sports, uh, a.k.a. Agility, (laughs) we are going to talk about some things to work on at home. Um, Some things that I specifically worked on with Maslow uh, before starting Agility that I have noticed has made a huge impact in his agility training so far. So I had left off the conversation last week about when to start training, and I had said as early as possible, you can hear my reasoning in the last episode. I don't really want to go over it again because I don't want to repeat myself. But uh, I had left off the conversation with when to start training. Um, If you don't want to start training that early for uh, whatever reason, which is fine. Um, This is going to be about stuff you can work on at home so that when you do start at agility, hopefully uh, you will be starting at a good point and you will still kind of have a leg up essentially. So I'm going to first start with some obedience things that I really stressed with Maslow that I have noticed has helped his agility training. Again, we started training when he was about like a year, year and a half. So, and he is three years old now. So he has been doing agility for about two years. And so these are some things that I had worked on with him before we had started our agility training. Um, Just in general, we were doing a lot of training before. Um, And so these are just some specific things that I think everyone should work on, but specifically they have helped immensely in the dog sport of agility. So gonna focus on obedience for this first portion. The first thing that I would say has helped has been working on his focus. So by this focus, I mean eye contact. So making sure that he gives me good eye contact and he's paying attention to me. And the way I taught that was just by first sitting there and just waiting for him to look at me. And this was inside in a non-distracting environment. There was no music playing, no TV on. There was there weren't any other dogs around in general, but no dogs around, no other people around. It was just me and Maslow sitting in a room. And so I was just sitting there and I was just waiting for him to look at me. And whenever he would look at me, I'd give him a reward. I'd say yes and give him his reward. And again, anytime he looked at me, yes, reward. And then we started moving around a little bit and we went to a 
different room. If you guys don't know, dogs do not generalize well. So we went to a different room that was also not distracting, but it wasn't the room that we were focusing in, and I did the same thing. And then I would up the distraction, and maybe I'd have the TV on and do the same thing. Maybe I'd have someone sitting in the room with me and then do the same thing. Uh, have music playing, doing the same thing. Um, and just kept increasing the distraction from there. And then we would move to the backyard, but maybe just by the door, you know, and worked on it there. And then a little bit further out and a little bit further out. And then we would go to the front yard on leash, by the way. Make sure you're safe with your dog. And we would do the same thing. Now, there's other people that train it where you can hold like a treat next to your eyes. You can do it that way as well. I prefer to train it organically. Uh, I prefer it that way just because I want them to know it without a treat next to my face. That I prefer to train in ways where it's easier to phase things out, if that makes sense. So if I just do it where I reward when he looks at me, then I don't have to worry about phasing out the treat next to my eyeballs or something like that, or phasing out the treat next to my face. You know, I prefer to kind of let them try and figure it out. And again, that's just my preferred method. That doesn't mean it's the method that's going to work for your dog. That doesn't mean it's the method that's going to work for every dog. That is just what worked for me and what worked for Maslow and his personality. Um, it has worked on my other dogs. I've known other dogs that it has worked on as well, other than mine, um, other than Corgi's in general. So that's just my method, is I just wait for them to look at me. And I don't say anything. I'm not calling their name. I'm not over there like, Maslow, Maslow, Maslow. Or over there like whistling and snapping their hand. Like, I, I just like to wait, you know. Um, and you can have them on leash in your house, and that makes it easier just to like, make it just to, you know, set them up for success, you know, so they're not wandering around. You can keep them on leash so that they have to stay close to you. Um, you can do it where you're making noises, you know. Sometimes I will do that as well if I just, like, cannot get them to look at me. Then I'll make some kissy noises, some clapping, like stomp, like stomp my feet a little bit, um, things like that. Like, I will make some noises just to get them to look at me and reward and that is fine too. Again, I prefer to train in a way where it's less to phase out. So that's just my method. But I do, I do use some noises just, <clears throat> excuse me, just so he gets used to that potentially being something that I may use out in, I almost said out in the wild, out in the wild when we're there. No, um, out in the real world, really more likely. So that's kind of a little introduction of how I trained his focus and eye contact. Um, but just in general, that's what, that's what I focused on. The next kind of focus is going to be their forward focus. So last week I talked about them being able to commit to an obstacle, um, having that independence to be able to run ahead of you and take an obstacle. I talked about that. So forward focus is basically I will have them standing next to me. Sometimes I will hang on to their hips or I will do a collar grab. There's their dinner, their toys, a treat, what have you, in 
in front of them. And I use a different a different command than uh, the focus command. Uh, for his focus, eye contact command, I usually say focus or look at me. For forward focus, I say C, as in S-E-E-C. And I just wait them out. And I wait for them to look at the object, and then I let them go. This is easiest with their food, and I try to give them the command before they're looking at it. Uh, it's easiest with their food to hold them back a little bit, say your command, and then release them. You can also do it by putting them in a stay or a sit or what have you. And I look at the object that I want them to look at. So I'm not staring at them because that's probably going to make them more stare at me, especially if they're used to eye contact. I look at whatever object I want them to get. Could be a toy, could be food, it could be something else. I don't know. But I look at whatever object that is. And once I see in my peripheral vision that they are also looking at it, that's when I release them. So I work a lot on forward focus, paying attention ahead of them. Next thing that I work on is some shadow handling. Okay, I'm going to explain what that is in a second. Or their off-leash skills. So shadow handling is essentially off-leash skills. It's just a fancy word for off-leash skills, off-leash heel position. And so what I do is I do a step reward method. Step, reward, step, reward, step, reward. I, I think it's pretty obvious what it is. And if they keep stay with you that whole time, then they just keep getting rewards and just you can just walk up and down your hallway. Step, reward, step, reward, step, reward. Once they get that, then you can increase the steps in between, and maybe it's two steps reward, two steps reward, and maybe it's three steps. And once they start understanding that, then maybe you can up the ante even more, and you're going to want to start varying your rewards. So one time, they're going to be able to get a treat after one step. Then the next time, maybe it's after five steps. Then maybe it's two steps. Then maybe it's back to one step, and then maybe it's six steps. And you want to vary it so it's not a predictable thing for them. So they don't know when to expect it. So it's just kind of a like, oh, cool, it happened. Right? That's going to be the easiest thing It's just try to bury it as much as possible. And then I up the ante from there. And then I'm going to just walk. And when they give me eye contact, then I'm going to reward. Right? So I'm just going to walk with them. And then when they give me eye contact, reward. Eye contact, reward. And that is shadow handling. And I make sure to work it. The traditional side to teach a, oh, I just had the word, and it just escaped my brain, heel position. There we go. <laughs> the traditional side to teach a heel position is usually the left. So I, for shadow handling, I want to work both sides. Because if you think about it in agility, they don't just run on your left. Sometimes they're going to run on your right. Sometimes they're going to be running on your right, and you have to switch them to their left, right? So I try to work that in there. So if I have been working all this on the left, I'm going to switch and I'm going to work it on the right. I want to make sure that they know both sides equally. So that is something I'm still working on with Maslow. He has, he has learned my left side extremely well because that's what I stress, stressed so much when he was a puppy. So now we are stressing a lot of the right side. And I've noticed he's gotten a lot better with that. And so I will do that. 
And then you can bring this exercise out into the wild, into the real world. And this is actually really great for loose leash walking practice too. This is great loose leash walking practice and a great loose leash walking method. And I usually tell people to think of it this way. The leash is like a seatbelt in a car, right? You don't need the seatbelt to drive the car, but it, it keeps you safe, right? So that's, I want you to think of the leashes the same way. You don't need a leash to walk your dog. It's for their safety. So I want you to pretend like the leash isn't even there when you go out and you practice these shadow handling exercises. And again, I had mentioned in the past, I will probably mention it multiple times, dogs do not generalize well. So don't be surprised if you take this even to a different room and your dog is like, I have no idea what you're talking about, man. I've never learned this thing in my life, okay? Because they've learned it really well in your hallway, but maybe they haven't learned it well in your living room yet. So don't be surprised if you have to start over. So again, shadow handling those off-leash skills, having them stay next to you and stay close to you. Now with that is going to be a strong recall. I have just recently, and I suggest this for everyone as well, just recently started adding in the hand touch command with our recalls. So I will call Maslow, he will do, you know, touch his nose to my hand, and then I will grab his collar. Now that is just something that I like to use because I like to be prepared. I like to be proactive and not reactive. So if for some reason he's running away and I try to call him to me, instead of having him learn to just sit in front of me, I want to make sure he gets all the way to me and touches my hand. And not only that, I want him to learn that his recall is touching my hand and I touch his collar and I grab his collar. So really, really working on that strong recall command. Like everything else, work in your home in a non-distracting environment. Up the ante over time until you can do it in, in public in a real-life situation. Next to that is going to be a strong stay command. Now I think, I honestly think his strong stay command is something that has benefited us the absolute most. The absolute most in his agility training. I'm going to say it again. A strong stay command has been the most beneficial thing that I have taught Maslow for his agility training. All right, so I can tell him to stay and I can run away and he will stay there. That is so hard for dogs to do. I can tell him to stay and walk in front of him and not be looking at him, not have any eye contact with him that is also difficult, right? That is also difficult for dogs to do. I can walk behind him. I can circle all around him and he will stay right there. He will stay there. Now with a strong stay command comes a strong release word. And what I mean by that is they will not release for anything unless it's their release word. And for agility, I will still give him a, a release word. I will. I will tell him. So break is his release word. If I have him in a stay in front of a jump, I will tell him break, jump. I still make sure to use break. I still make sure to stress to him he is not allowed to leave unless he hears the word break. And if he gets up from his stay, he still sometimes breaks his stays. This has been the thing that I have been the most stubborn about to this day 
highly encourage everyone to do this, whether you want to do agility or not. Highly, highly encourage everyone to do this. If they break their stay, put them back. Don't let them get away with it. Put them back. If they get up, no. Go put them back as close to where they were when you said, told them to sit or down or what have you. Put them back. Now, I will say I use, I should, I should add a little note to this. There should be a strong stay command or a strong wait command. Now, the difference between me is, for me, between stay and wait is when I tell you to stay, I put you in a sit and I tell you to stay, you will stay in that sit. You will not lay down. You will not stand up. You will stay in that sit. Now, wait is a lot different for me. If I put you, if I sit, if I say sit and I tell him to wait, now for me that means you do not go forward. You can go back but you cannot go forward. You can sit, you can stand, you can lie down, but you will not go forward. So those are the different things for me. Those do have two different things for me. I do tend to use the, the weight more often uh, for his sports than the stay, just because for me, it has nothing to do whether with whether he starts in a sit or a down, it's just a matter of he needs to stay there. So I will use weight instead. It's just a little bit more relaxed stay. Stay is very serious to me. Wait is like, well, just don't move forward, okay? Like, be however you want to be. Be however is comfortable for you, but just don't stay. Just don't leave that area, essentially. So, and I can go into how to teach a strong stay later. That is going to be a different episode because there are so many things that go into it. I touched on it a little bit um, in puppy training, in my puppy training episode. So if you can't wait, you can go back and listen to that one but cannot emphasize it enough, a strong stay command, a strong weight command. The number one best thing I taught Maslow for his agility training. And I still am like thanking my lucky stars that I taught him that. All right. Now the other thing that goes along kind of with what I said when he, you know, if they break their stay, uh, Teaching them to listen to the command when you say it once. So one of my biggest pet peeves is if I'm out and about and I see someone else with their dog and they're over there like, I'll say spot, I don't know, spot, sit, sit, spot, sit, sit, spot, sit, 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 sit. You know, over and over, sit, 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 sit. No, that does not fly with me. And if you think about it, that is not going to fly in agility, right? Like I told you to jump, go jump. The jump, the command isn't jump, 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 jump. The command is jump. It's one word. Now I will say I, I have gotten into the habit of um, his tunnel command is, I say it three times in a row. I say tunnel, tunnel, tunnel. Um, don't ask me how I got into that. It's the whole story. But anyways, so I, I try to, you know, do it so that they learn the command once. And so the way I do that is I will, I'm going to use sit as an example. So I will say sit, and if they don't do it, then I will give them their hand motion for it. And if they still don't do it, then I'll put a treat on their nose 
and lure them into it. <clears throat> so I don't repeat myself. I just make it a little easier, easier, and easier every time. But I don't want to repeat the command. I just give them a little reminder. And sometimes, honestly, hand signals are easier for dogs than just the verbal command. So don't be surprised if the hand signal is easier for them. So after that, the listening to the command once when you say it or listening to it when you just say it the one time. The next thing to work on for obedience, if you want to do agility, is distractions. So they are going to be working these courses around other dogs. So making sure your dog can focus on you with other dogs around. There are going to be people around. There is going to be a judge in the ring with you, as well as people watching you run your dog. So can your dog focus on you when there are people around? Okay, that's something to work on. Sounds, right? There could be clapping. Someone could be, you know, dropping something. The sound of the teeter is very loud. So are they used to that? Are they used to loud noises? Uh, one way I like to work on this is if they're in a stay command and then I'll like squeak a toy in front of them or throw a toy past them, like a, like a tennis ball past them because that's very noisy. Um, so that's just one little tidbit of how I like to teach with um, sound distractions. Uh, the other thing is to go along with distractions is different locations. Okay, and I want you to be careful with this one because I want you to choose things that are easy for them to do that they know really, 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 really well. So this is going to be your sits and your downs because you don't want to ask too much of them in a high distraction environment. Start with something easy that they know, set them up for success. For example, if you are just teaching your dog spin and they're still not, they, they get it pretty well in your house, but maybe in your backyard, not so much, or like you're just... You're in the middle of teaching them spin and you take them to out on a walk that they've never been to before and you try to tell them to spin. It just might be a too it might be too much of a distracting environment for them to be able to do that behavior. So make sure you keep it to easy behaviors that they can that they can get correct, right? You want to set your dog up for success. Nobody wants to fail. And it's the same with your dog. You want to set your dog up for success. So go to these different locations, just random places, you know, fields would be, I would say, honestly, kind of ideal because you will be running agility outside in a grass field, I bet you. And just ask them for different behaviors that they know really, really well. So typically for most dogs, that's going to be like sits and downs. That's kind of the thing most dogs know best, sit and down and reward when they do it correctly, right? And just be prepared that it is a high distraction environment for, for them. <clears throat> so it might be tough. All right. And next on this, that was my uh, little obedience spiel <laughs> for you. So next I'm going to talk about something else that helped him immensely with agility. And I taught him a bunch of tricks. I think before we started agility, he knew like a hundred tricks or something like that, or close to it. I don't remember the exact amount um, that he knew before we started agility, but we we taught him. I we I taught him. Excuse me. I taught him a lot of tricks, and 
it doesn't really matter the kind of tricks that you teach. Just teach your dog tricks. And I'm not saying teach your dog a hundred tricks before you start agility. That's not what I'm trying to say. Uh, just train your dog and train as many tricks as you can and, you know, have fun with it. Obviously everyone just, the my number one advice is have fun. Train to have fun, right? Train to also have a goal, you know, like obedience is important, but train to have fun. Have fun with your dog, which is what tricks are, right? Tricks are just, yeah, you're just having fun with your dog. So train as many tricks as you can and train different kinds of tricks. So I want you to train things that involve their paws, things that involve their whole body, things that involve just their nose maybe. Uh, train different kinds of tricks of various kinds. So, you know, the tricks uh, shake, roll over, and like a nose work game are all going to involve different things, right? They're all going to be a little different. They're all equally, you know, cool and equally fun to teach your dog. But they're all going to be, they're all going to be a little different for your dog, essentially. And so why are you teaching them all these tricks? Why am I telling you to train your dog a bunch of tricks before doing agility? And again, this is this is if you don't want to get in early um, as a puppy. Why am I telling you this? Well, that's because I noticed, because I have taught Maslow so many tricks, one, our communication really improved. Um, he knew what I was trying to tell him a little better. I knew how to tell him what I wanted a little better. And then I also knew his strengths. Right, I knew what he was good at, and I knew what he was maybe not so good at. You know, for him, I figured out for for his tricks, he's really good at athletic tricks. He picks up athletic tricks like nobody's business. Like those are the tricks that he learns in like fifteen minutes. The things that involve a little bit more learning and a, that are a little bit more exact. Um, so I'm talking things like putting a coin into a piggy bank, um, playing connect four, painting, things that involve a little bit more of his brain. I don't know how else to, to say it. Things are, are more of the uh, dexterity. That's the word. Things that involve more dexterity are more difficult for him. He, he has a hard time learning those ones. But things that are more active, he loves. He loves, loves, loves. So when I'm training him something new, for example, I'm going to say the weave pulls, right? We've been working on weaves. I know how much he loves jumps and tunnels. So I'm going to send him through a jump first to get him amped up. And then I'm going to send him through the weave pulls. That might be a little bit more difficult for him because I know that's going to be his best bet for success. Tricks have also taught me and him, um, kind of how best to communicate. Uh, I, I know I mentioned communication, um, but I know which tricks he really enjoys doing. So those would be, he loves to whisper, he loves to wave, and he loves to spin. Um, so when I just need to get him amped up, you know, I want him amped up. I want him excited to do something. 
I will ask him to do one of those three tricks. And he just gets so amped up and ready to go because he loves those tricks. Those are his favorite things. So those are some things. I'll ask him to do that before going over a jump because it just kind of refocuses his brain. It kind of turns that light switch back on and it gets him amped up and ready to go for the next thing. Uh, so train, just train your dog because you will learn what is best for them. You will learn how best to communicate with them. How I communicate with Maslow is different than how I communicate with Lexi is different with, than how I communicate with Quill. And how I communicate with all three of my dogs is probably different than how I would, how you would communicate with your dog, right? It's going to be different. So the more you train them, the better you can understand, you can understand that and build that relationship. And talking, speaking of building a relationship, training your dog builds a relationship and agility involves having a relationship with your dog, having a working relationship with your dog. So anything you can do to build that relationship, the better. Um, and training is definitely a great, fantastic way to build a relationship with your dog. Now on to specific tricks to work on at home for agility to help get you prepared for it. I will say for these ones, don't do them if you have a puppy or do them at low risk. Okay, like really, really easy stuff. Um, honestly, I probably want to do it if, if you have a puppy, uh, a really, really young puppy specifically. Just be cautious, right? Because puppies are jello at that age, right? They're like pudding. Their bones are pudding. They're just like little floating bones in there. It's nothing. But tricks to work on if your dog is older, maybe they're a year old and you're, you're just waiting to get into an agility class. Balance work. Okay, working on balance work. So stuff like the wobble board. I've mentioned the wobble board in our Maslow Monday updates, but it's a big circle board and there's like a half ball in the middle and basically the board moves around. Um, you can also use, I use a BOSU, uh, B-O-S-U. It is a human exercise tool. Uh, if your dog is small enough, which if your, your dog is a corgi, then your dog is small enough. Um, I use that. Sometimes they can be cheaper to find and then, you know, exercise tool for you too, right? Um, and that'll also create that kind of balance wobbly work, uh, that you want to work on. The next thing to work on, uh, for balance work is stuff with the exercise ball, um, or a peanut. If you don't know what a peanut is, it, it's like the same material as an exercise ball, but it basically looks like a peanut. Like it's pretty self-explanatory. If you go on Amazon and search exercise peanut, you'll find it easily. And so what I do with that is I work on them having just their two front paws on it because it can get kind of wobbly and then they can work on moving the ball forward. That's going to be good for their hind end awareness, body awareness. Okay. And again, set them up for success with this. Make sure you're safe with it. Um, I have them jump on it. Make sure the ball or the peanut is secure. I have them jump up on it because that's very, very wobbly. Again, making sure it's secure, you can do a two on, two off. So their back feet are on the ball or the peanut and the front feet are on the floor or whatever surface uh, you may be using. Again, make sure that it is secure when you do this though, okay? The next thing you can work on, um, you can get to help your dog 
with balance are paw pods or balance pods. Honestly, if you go on Amazon and you search balance pods and you get the human ones, they're the exact same thing as, as the dog ones, and oftentimes they are a lot cheaper. Okay, so the paw pods, same thing, putting their front feet on it, putting their back feet on it, and just getting them used to that uneven work. So a lot of that is gonna help you with the teeter. Okay, the teeter is probably the most difficult, um, the most difficult obstacle for a lot of dogs because uh, it moves and it makes noise. So get as much balance work in there as you can and getting them used to being on a moving object, that's gonna help you for sure. Um, just to add on to that, working on things, on tricks where they are making the noise. So we worked on him with a skateboard. So you can either have it be him riding the skateboard or him, I would have him put his front paws up and just kind of move it or make him move it, you know? It's not necessarily riding it, like four paws weren't on it, his just two paws were on it, but moving the skateboard. Um, and again, I would have him with four paws on it and he would be moving the skateboard. Um, for him, I had it on a downhill, a slight decline. Okay, like let's not go crazy. His four paws were on it and he would just lean forward and it would move and I, my foot would be there to catch him. But the point being, he was on an object that was moving and he was causing it to move, not me. Also with the skateboard, um, I had talked a little bit about the noise, but you can have it so they push it into the wall and it makes like a crashing noise. So, and again, start, start slow with this because you don't want to scare them when this happens. You know, you can have it just be it hits a carpet like you have the wall and there's the carpet there and they move it like two feet and it just makes a little tap noise right so start easy with it but it's the same thing with that with the teeter they're going to go all the way you know up and then it's going to go down and it's going to make a crashing noise and they are the ones making the noise so you want to get them used to that you want to get them to used to them making that crashing noise um and i feel like the the skateboard really does help with that and it was a tip given to me when we had just started agility. It has definitely, definitely helped. Other things that are going to help you are some body awareness tricks. Uh, so I talked a little bit about hind end awareness with uh, moving the exercise ball or the peanut forward. So moving their little back feet, right? That's hind end awareness. Other body awareness things, um, spin and spin in both directions. That's some good body awareness. You can up it a little bit and do spin on a platform or like a cardboard box, you know, and see if they can spin on that. That's another good body awareness exercise. Figure eights. So figure eights between your legs is usually what I do. I feel like that's self-explanatory of what figure eights, <laughs> figure eights between your legs. I feel like the name says what the trick is, so I'm not going to explain it, but that is a body awareness exercise. Next is going to be back up. Back up is good for hind end awareness. Okay, so something, again, to give them some more body awareness. And then back up to a target. So I will do a mat. I like to use a bath mat for Maslow. And I'll put it on just like a little, I don't want to call it a platform, but it's just like three inches off the ground. So he still feels it there and he has to climb up on it, like put his back feet up on it. So uh, backing up to that target, and then I add the carpet on it just so he can physically feel um, 
the difference, essentially feel when it's there. Um, other things to work on, that was tricks to work on. These are just some other things that I have thought of that would be good to work on uh, before you start agility or some prep work into agility uh, if you're just waiting to start a class or something like that. Rewards. Working on rewards. Now, one thing I wish I worked on harder with Maslow was toy rewards, and that is something we are still working on. So toy rewards in agility is most likely going to be tugged rewards, like rope toys type of things. Although I don't like ropes necessarily, but using like, if you look up agility tug toys, you'll see what I'm talking about, but it's a lot of fleece toys. They're like fleece ropes. Um, so working with that and making that a motiva motivating factor and making it just motivating for them in general. Uh, and the way we have been working on it is I will ask him for a behavior and then throw a toy for him, like for our usual playtime. What we are working on right now is him tugging out in the, in the real world, you know, <laughs> like bringing our toy with us and will he tug, um, basically anywhere. So that's what, that's what we're working on. Um, you can also use toys with squeakers, but just know that in class settings that can be distracting for other dogs. So they may not, they may not have, most of the time trainers don't want you using toys with squeakers because that's really hard for the other dogs in the class. Um, but it could help you just create some motivation at home until you're able to transition into just the tug rewards. I mean, obviously, there's also food rewards. Obviously, work on a food reward. Um, I work with a variety of food rewards. I work on a very basic treat. Sometimes it's, this can also be kibble. For Maslow, kibble is not motivating enough. Um, but a very, very basic reward. And then you can have like a slightly higher value reward, okay? And so for me, that's like just your typical like Zook's treat is my basic reward for Maslow or kibble for Lexi. The treat that's slightly above that is going to be lamb liver, dehydrated lamb liver or lamb lung. That's what I meant. I don't know why I said liver, but dehydrated lamb lung, sorry, words, um, is going to be that kind of middle ground treat for him. And then I also have a high-value treat for him. Those are the things like hot dogs, chicken, bacon, cheese. Those are high-value rewards. So I like to have a variety of them. It does help with his motivation. We'll start off with the very basic ones. And as he needs to gain more motivation, I don't want to say lose motivation, but as he needs to gain more of it, then I will go up the ladder, essentially. I don't like to start off with the high value right away unless it's an extremely distracting environment, then I totally will. Um, the other thing to work on is a marker word, um, also known as a bridge word, or uh, a clicker. A clicker is commonly used. So for us, our marker or bridge word is yes. Other people, it can be something different, but we use yes. So something that marks the behavior to let them know, I like what you did there, okay? So incorporating that in your training is going to help you a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Distance work. Can you put them 10 feet or so away from you? And will they sit if they're 10 feet away from you? Will they down if they're 10 feet away from you? Okay, so working on distance work. And I said it before, but I will say it again. Just work on having fun with your dog. Make training time fun. Make them 
really enjoy training with you. That is going to help you no matter what. If they enjoy training with you, you're golden. You're golden, right? So make it fun. Also, this is the hardest part. When to end a training session. End it when they are having the most fun. End it when you are having the most fun, okay? That is going to help with their motivation as well because you want them to continue wanting to work with you because it's just so fun, right? It's like if you got your favorite food and you're like right in the middle of eating it and then the waiter comes and takes it away. And you're like, excuse me, no. I really, 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 really want that, okay? That's the feeling that you want your dog to have. You want them to have that drive to work with you because it's just so much fun. Now, I'm going to touch on this briefly because um, this is already a longer episode than I than I thought it was going to be. So I'm just going to touch on this next part briefly. Um, another question or another thought that usually comes up is, should you get some at-home agility equipment? And I'm going to say yes and no to that. One, most of the at-home agility equipment you get, it's going to be cheap and it's not really going to be competition standard, which is fine. If you don't want to do competition stuff, that's fine. Go get your at-home agility equipment. Um, But I will say that at-home agility equipment is good for motivation and it's it's a good option if you want to really... increase their motivation for it and really show them that it can be a fun thing. So I would say get it for that if you want to be like, I want my dog to know how fun this can be. Then yeah, get your at-home agility equipment. Um, Just know it's going to be like not as nice as like competition grade agility equipment, which isn't a big deal. I'm just, just want to let you guys know. Um, There is a lot of equipment that you can make at home. You can look on Pinterest and you know, do a search for uh, DIY agility equipment. There's a lot of stuff you can make at home um, as far as the jumps go. I know someone who has made an at-home teeter before, too. So there's a lot of stuff you can make at home. Um, If if you want to, you can get, like, competition-grade agility equipment. Uh, Just know that it is extremely expensive. So you can see if there's like um, on Facebook, if there's a buy, sell, or trade group in your area. Um, there's one by me, an agility buy, sell, and trade group uh, where people have used equipment on there or they'll want to trade something or they'll sometimes have really nice kennels on there too. So that's also something to look into. Now, I personally don't really have any at-home agility equipment. I have one tunnel and that I bought just because Uh, Classes had to be canceled due to the pandemic, and so I just bought something for Maslow to do at home because he loves his tunnels and he wasn't really able to do agility, and he loves agility. So I didn't buy it for training. I just bought it because I was sad that he couldn't do the thing that he loved anymore, and a tunnel was the easiest thing for me to get for him because he loves tunnels so much. Now, there are things that you can teach without the fancy equipment. Um... And one of those things is obedience. I think you can tell by how long I spent on the obedience section of this episode that I believe obedience is way more important to teach. And if you want to do agility, that is something that you should stress at home the most. You can teach a dog to jump over a bar really easy. It's not that difficult to teach a dog to jump over a bar. It's a lot more difficult to teach a dog 
how to behave off-leash, okay? So that's something to stress. It's not that difficult to teach a dog to go through a tunnel, depending on the dog. It's really not that difficult to, to teach them how to do it. So really work on the, the obedience things at home, I think is the biggest thing. Biggest thing that's going to give you the most benefit, all right? So this has been our Friday fun day. I discussed a lot of things that you can do at home to prepare your dog for agility and just some things to work at home to prepare your dog for that sport. If you have any questions about agility, feel free to email the show. Otherwise, have an amazing weekend, everyone, and I will talk to you next week. Bye. Corgi Confident is for educational purposes only. Please contact a vet, trainer, groomer, or other pet professional in your area for help. Want more Corgi content? Make sure to follow Maslow the Trick Corgi on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And if you have a question, you can email us at corgiconfidentpodcast at gmail.com. This is the Corgi Queen, signing off.